Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Monica T, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Monday, February 20th, 2017. And today we are reading from the big book. We are in Bill's story, and we will start our reading at the bo- on page 7, the third paragraph, but it was not. And three paragraphs will be read. The first two will be for context. And the third paragraph on page 8, which begins, No Words Can Tell, will be where our comments will be focused on today. And today's readers are the 12 Steps. Kathy S., The Twelve Traditions, Mara Z., and our text readers are Becky K. and Meg F., and our newcomer greeter is Melanie. The reference number for, we don't have a reference number for tomorrow. Well, we do, we do. We have a reference number for yesterday, Sunday, the special edition, and the reference number is 9612. 9612. And how is exciting here, our first day here at 10 a.m. Oh, a preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that, People who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Kathy S. to read the 12 steps for us, please. Hi, good morning, Monica. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Number two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves would restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, Humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all the people we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted. Eleven, sought through prayer meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for his knowledge of his will, 
for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. With that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy S. And I will now ask Mara Z to read the 12 traditions of OA for us. Good morning, Monica. Mara Z recovered in Virginia the 12 traditions of OA is anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12, Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And I pass. Thank you, Marazi. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. So today we are resuming our study of the big book. And we are in the chapter Bill's story. We will begin our reading on the third paragraph on page seven, but it was not for the frightful day. Three paragraphs will be read. The first two will be for context only, and comments will be taken on the third paragraph, which is on page eight, No Words Can Tell of the Loneliness. And with that, I'm going to ask Becky Kay if she would read for us, please. Thank you. Hi, everyone. This is Becky Kay, a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. 
But it was not for the frightful day came when I drank once more. The curve of my declining morale and bodily health fell off like a ski jump. After a time, I returned to the hospital. This was the finish. The curtain, it seemed to me. My weary and despairing wife was informed that it would all end with heart failure during delirium tremors or I, I would develop a wet brain, perhaps within a year. She would soon have to give me over to the undertaker or the asylum. They did not need to tell me. I knew and almost welcomed the idea. It was a devastating blow to my pride. I, who had thought so well of myself and my abilities, of my capacity to smart obstacles, was cornered at last. Now I was, I was to plunge into the dark, joining an endless procession of, of thoughts who had gone on before. I thought of my poor wife. There had been much happiness after all. What would I not give to make amends? But they were over now. No words could tell of the loneliness and despair I had found in the bitter morass of self-pity. Quick stands stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. Well, thank you for letting me share and read today. Um, what this this last paragraph in particular means to me is that this, in essence, is Bill saying that he was at rock bottom. And I truly remember when I, when I was in rock bottom. And for me, food was, I thought, my friend, but really was my master and my foe. I used to um, overeat, whether I was mad, sad, happy, or glad. And it was my friend way back in the day, I think it was a coping mechanism for me, but that coping mechanism turned into a bitter, bitter um, foe. And what's interesting about this is that the more I ate, the the more lonely and, and um, I was just in a sea of self-pity, and it truly was the rock bottom. I remember eating and eating and binging, no matter what my feelings were, thinking that it would make me better. And I think for me, just like Bill says here, that everyone has to reach a rock bottom point in their life, and that's what turned me into to, to the to the rooms of OA. I had tried everything. I had tried diet plans, pills from doctors, fasting, etc. And none of those helped. And physically, I had gained so much weight that I was officially obese. And emotionally, I was a wreck. I was, as, as it says here, um, not only was I lonely, but I also became, as Bill Litter says, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, smiling one minute and yelling the next. I knew for me that that unfortunately God was not my master, food was. And every time I felt a feeling, as I mentioned, whether I was mad, sad, or be glad, I turned to food, not to God. And that rock bottom point made me realize that I needed something different. And with that, I pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Becky Kay. So now I'm going to open it up, and who would like to share on this paragraph on page 8, No Words Can Tell of the Loneliness? Julie R. Julie. Carmela R. Roz G. <laughs> okay, I heard Julie R., I heard Camella, I heard Roz G. There was somebody else I missed. Sylvia. Tina R. F. And Patty. Sylvia. <laughs> 
uh, Paula. Okay, Gina Sylvia R. Paula. There was Tina R. Okay, Gina G with a G. Oh, Gina. Gina. Kathy Joe. Okay. Kathy. Joe. Amy. Kathy Joe. Kathy Joe. Amy G. Yeah. All right, we've got quite a nice little line up there to start with, and we will be on this one paragraph for the whole meeting. So, All right, this is what I've got. Beck, um, Julie R., Carmela, I didn't get your last initial, you'll have to tell us, Raj G., Sylvia, Paula, Gina R., Kathy Joe, and Amy G. So, Julie R., you're up. Hi, thank you, And Monica. please, no speaker phones, um, if, if possible, okay? Thank you. Mm-hmm. Hi. Um, this is Julie R. Recovered in California. Um, so oh, this is such a powerful, powerful paragraph because that tells my story right before I got out of relapse um, in 2014. It was, I was sinking more and more every day. And it's not just the food, right? But because it was my master, it dictated everything. But my whole life was unmanageable. The weight gain, gaining 70 of the 152 back, the depression, the anger, the manipulation, the dishonesty, the loneliness, no matter if I had 20 people near me or not. It was, um, it was, hell is not, um, can't even describe what it was to be in that, that place. And, you know, it was like I was that puppet on the, on the string I I didn't control anything. Somebody, something, some force was controlling me. And I was mandated just to eat, eat, eat into oblivion and then to wake up and think, oh, my God, I did it again. And then to say, nope, I'm going to be abstinent. I'm going to talk to some people. I'm going to be abstinent. And before 8 o'clock in the morning, I was eating the, the pastries at work that we had for the customers. And it went on and on for that seven months. And prior to that, you know, my whole life I was a compulsive overeater. But the amazing thing is, where am I today? My God is my master, not food. And it's, uh, you know, life is so good today because I'm not controlled by the obsession and I'm not mandated to pick up and to eat five, ten thousand calories at a sitting. What I am is I'm a free woman. I'm neutral. I'm uh, content with life. Yeah, I have stuff going on in my life that's not fun. But never do I ever think about turning to food. It's like, okay, God, what do you want me to do? So, you know, I cannot forget that last night before I came back to reality when I came back to my God full force, it was hell. I was um, eating like an animal. I mean, I had chocolate dripping from my face. I had wrappers all over my bed. I had chocolate stains on my sheets. I had boxes thrown on the ground of empty um, containers. Um, I was bloated. I was sick. And where I am today, I'm free. I'm at a normal body weight. My head is not filled with any kind of eat, eat, eat mantra. So, you know, if you're a newcomer here, come back because you don't have to live like that anymore. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Julie R. Yeehaw, this program works. Okay, Carmela, you'll have to tell me your last initial. I didn't catch it. You're next. And then we'll be Roz G. 
Carmela G. from New York. Thank you. Go ahead. Thank you for allowing me to share, and thank you for your service, Monica. Um, it's an exciting day. The sun is shining in New York. The sky is blue, and I feel the sunlight of the spirit, and the sunlight of the spirit is my connection to my higher power, which is God. And only through this program have I been given such a gift. Uh, Friday I had to attend a week of a, a woman who was 92. She passed, and she had a beautiful life. And I really knew her only vaguely, um, but I knew her family, so I went. And as I was walking up to say my prayer and my farewell, um, a woman sitting alone asked if I would join her and sit down with her for a few minutes. And, you know, we're busy, we all have lives, and I was really rushed, and I thought, okay, God, you want me to sit? I'll sit. So I sat because I've learned for six decades I was the boss, and I finally have learned to pause and listen to the message God has. This woman, I had never met her before. She was well in her 80s, and she had a beautiful spirit. And she said, I asked you to sit because you looked approachable. You had a smile. And um, I sat with her, and I listened, and she spoke of her family. And what she said to me was truly a message and a gift. She said there are the two strongest emotions in life. One is love, and one is fear. And I realize in this story, for six decades, I was in fear. I was being sucked in. You know what it is to be sucked in and have no control? It's like you're thrashing. You will do anything. And all of a sudden, I am free. And I feel the sunlight of the Spirit. And I feel God's presence in my life. And I've learned to listen and it's only been three years of recovery, but I am so grateful for it, and I am grateful for this meeting because you brought me along this path. Thank you so much, and have a beautiful day, and enjoy. Bye-bye. Thank you, Carmela G. And a gentle reminder, please, we are focusing on this on this paragraph, No Words Can Tell of the Loneliness. And with that, Raj G., you're up, and then it'll be Sylvia, and you'll have to tell me your last initial when you come up. Go ahead, Raj. Hi, it's Raj G. Can I be heard? You can. Go ahead. Oh, yay. I'm so excited to be on this first specific time or later time meeting. Thank you very much for for putting this together, everybody. And I look forward to having six months of abstinence so I can be of service. But right now I can share. And uh, where it says no words can tell of loneliness and despair, I found in that bitter morass of self-pity is is a big, I I can identify with that a lot because uh, I have been a single mom for 13 years. And um, I got a divorce in 2003, and I didn't even know the pain I was going to feel after that divorce. You know, people had told me divorce is worse than a death, the pain that you're going to go through. So 
through that, through all that grieving, I turned to food and um, self-pity, food, eating, and self-pity. And there were, I, gosh, I went to the spiritual retreat and this woman um, who was leading it was kind of intuitive and looked at me and said, I sense that you're very lonely. And I would um, do things uh, at work. Uh, you know, I, I got a, after I got my career, I would do extra things to avoid going home. Um, anything I could do to avoid being lonely. And, and, you know, I was in OA, but I really wasn't, I didn't experience the, the friends that, that the fellowship that sprung up that talks about in the big book. I really didn't experience that because I was still eating. And I'm telling you, I've written about loneliness so much. It is a, it's a big part of my life. However, since uh, I have, I had a relapse, I was honest about it. I got a sponsor in this program. I put down the food. I've been going to fellowships. I've been going to, I have an, a, a, a Wednesday night face-to-face meeting. That's a big book study. Uh, I'm able to make calls. Uh, I, I'm open to, to going out with people and doing things, and I'm not lonely. And then I still eat at the dinner table by myself pretty much because my kids are grown up, but my company is God. I have two dogs and God, and I'm not lonely. I really am honest by saying I don't feel that loneliness anymore because I'm abstinent from compulsive overeating. I'm deepening my spiritual practice and life with the big book, uh, I'm going through the steps again, and I'm go- I'm doing a lot better. So I'm really grateful for this meeting. It has been a huge turnaround in my life. Thank you very much, and I pass. Thank you, Raj G. Sylvia F., it's your turn, and then it'll be Paula D. Good morning, my uh, California and West Coast visionaries and everyone else on the line. This is Sylvia F., a recovered compulsive overeater in California. So excited to be here on day one of this new later meeting uh, so we can be here live. So I want to focus on, you know, the the paragraph overall is, um, oh, wait, I just realized I got to get my timer going there. So the, uh, the paragraph is, you know, that really that, that bottomed out desperation which is what brought me into the meetings, what brought me, what brought most of, most of us in, because until I hit desperation, I was never going to consider a 12-step program. You know, I tried um, therapy, and I tried weight, weight loss programs. I tried everything, but it was only desperation that was going to bring me into a 12-step program. I'd never been in one, and, and be open to direction open to suggestion and say, what now? Tell me what to do now. Um, because it says alcohol was my master, food was my master. And, um, and my life was uh, insane, out of control, but I didn't know it. From the outside, I looked fine, other than I was morbidly obese, other than the time I was anorexic. Um, so from the outside, I looked like I just had a weight problem, but, but that was not what, what the problem was. Um, so here we have the uh, bitter, bitter morass of self-pity, and you know that I, I love the the vocabulary that they use here. Morass is a low-lying, soggy ground. It's something that hinders, engulfs, 
overwhelms as disordered or muddled situation or circumstances, especially one that impedes progress. Uh, you know, such such a perfect word. And, and it says bitter morass of self-pity. I was so pitiful about, I thought it was everything, everybody else's fault. I thought that, you know, if I was having trouble at work, it was my coworkers. If I was having trouble in my marriage, it was my husband. If I was having trouble at the uh, checkout counter, it was the clerk. And so I, w- I was living in self-pity for sure. And, um, and the quicksand, it meant that I, I was just thinking I could not get out. I had met my match. This desperation, you know, I heard in the, in the meetings that, uh, that we wish for you desperation. And now I understand it. What else is going to make me beaten down enough to be willing to do what I need to do? to get the recovery that I have now. And, um, and when I'm starting to work with someone else, when, if someone gets in touch with me and they want to work, if, if I don't hear that desperation, no, good to go, just need, just need a food sponsor, I'm like, yeah, I don't know that. I don't understand that because I, was, I had met my match. There was no way out. And I, I, uh, I remember we had gone to France and we were, we were on a trip with some, another couple and I'd read a book that said I had this, this carbohydrate addiction or something. So that was the beginning of understanding physical allergy. And um, so I made a decision. I said, oh boy, I'm just going to give up carbos for this. Uh, and I'll, I'll wind up. I'm going to give up carbos for this trip. And I made it like maybe three or four hours. I had such a craving. I had to eat. And I was already getting the headaches from with, with the withdrawal within... Thank you, Monica. Within three or four, within three or four hours, and so it was a great example of where I was in this disease. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Sylvia F. Paula D. It's your turn, and then it'll be Gina R. I think it was Paula D. It was a Paula star one to unmute? We can't hear you. Sylvia, I was thanking you, uh, uh, Sylvia, thank you for your share and the shares that have gone before me, and I thank you for this time given. Um, I did have mute on. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can, Paula. Go ahead. Well, I started with a thank you for your service (laughs) and for this meeting. That is encompassing even more. In the big book, it said to include, well, look at this. It includes states, different parts of the country, different parts of the world. So here we come together. And my name is Paula D., yes, and I am spending that time. And here I am in recovery, being able, given an opportunity to share. I would like to just back up just for one moment. And I will forward. There had been much happiness after all. There had been much happiness after. What I what would I not give to make amends? But that was over now. It cannot be a beginning without an ending. Look at where he'd come. No words can tell of the loneliness. Wait, this is Bill the Wordsmith. My best friend, one of my best friends in programs was Mr. Webster. Oh, he explained so much the depth of. But here he could not go. No words. I could maybe give it a shot, but it's got to go beyond the words. Until it goes beyond the words to the very depth of you. That you can't say anymore. You can't think anymore. And where was he? And that's such a dark, dark place. And they're using the thing, quicksand. 
Well, see, that was it. It was taking me down. But continue on here. Because there's something, when do you see a comment the best? We're at the dark of the night. The dark of the night, and that's where we were here. Alcohol was my master. Do you see ego where it takes you and where it keeps you? Always self. But when that realization, he actually spoke the words, but he didn't speak them. He felt them. He knew to have someone over something over you. What? Alcohol was my master? Oh, it sounds like such a dark, dark paragraph. Remember what I said about the comet? The comet shines the brightest in the darkest of nights. And this was a dark night more than, and I just think the feeling of, it's like the feeling when you see a child, a feeling, wait, but what kind of feeling is this to the depths of your soul? A sadness, a sadness that engulfs you, surrounds you, and takes you down? Let me tell you, darling, this is falling upward. I thank you for giving me this opportunity to share But I will tell you, it's a paragraph that brings you on. Words were not used, and yet they were. I thank you again. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula D. Gina R., it's your turn, and then it'll be Kathy Joe. And I'll need your last initial, Kathy Joe, when we get to you. Thank you. Go ahead, Gina. Thank you so much. And... um, This is Gina R., gratefully recovered in Colorado, and I am um, very, very excited about this new meeting and uh, looking forward to being a a regular contributor and uh, recovered presence for others. I am still a relative newcomer, and um, on May 17th of last year, I found myself um, in my quicksand, and it was... Um, not, I think, as dramatic a story as um, what Bill is, what we've read about Bill up until this point, or even what I've heard about um, other people's addictions. I don't have um, the specific experience of going to bed with food and waking up with wrappers and uh, somebody just mentioned having chocolate stains on the, on the, the sheets. And it was because I didn't have that kind of experience that I fostered the delusion that I didn't have a problem um, with food. And because I had not become morbidly obese, I'm five feet five and my top weight um, uh, because of being on steroid treatment after going through cancer um, chemo was about 185. And so I didn't think that um, that weight gain was due to me, but it was because of the drugs. So I lived for many years um, in denial, a, a very strong flowing river of denial that I didn't have the problem that other people had. And I really was not aware of how the 12 steps worked for food. I've been in a a sister program um, since 1985 and never 
um, was able to hear the connection. I'm sure people may have mentioned it to me, but I never got it. Finally, in 2011, I was introduced to the concept of a face-to-face -face OA meeting, and I went to that um, thinking that that would be the answer. Unfortunately, my particular experience was I, the only thing I saw there was the mess of people's lives. I did not see the message of hope and recovery and the practical application of these steps. So for the next five years, I um, let that river of denial flow me right into that quicksand pit. And my final day was um, going to an Al-Anon meeting on a Saturday morning. And no disrespect to Al-Anon, but I have heard um, people say that Al-Anon meetings are basically OA waiting rooms. And that was definitely my story. As soon as I got out of that meeting, I acted on Time. the thought. I acted on the thought that took me into the experience that brought me to these rooms. Thank God for people who bring the message and not the mess. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Gina R. And Kathy Joe P., it's your turn, and then it'll be Amy G. And um, gentle reminder, please keep your focus on the paragraph that we're reading and what's being said there. Thank you. Hello, my name is Kathy Jo P., a recovered compulsive overeater in Minneapolis. And I am going to say, first of all, I put down the sugar over five years ago but I still had constant food chatter in my head and I would be with people and have conversations. Should I eat that or not eat that? And should I have more? Should I have less? Or, you know, do they think I look like I lost weight? Do um, they care that I'm eating this or not eating that? And I also had a lot of cutoffs in relationships and harms in relationships and wanting to be liked. All of those things made me feel that loneliness that is described here. And the quicksand for me wasn't, like I just said, just about the food and the food chatter and the weight, which my weight topped out at 303 pounds. And I was living in complete hell with the food and the broken relationships, and the disconnection from God. And when I gave up all of my alcoholic foods on June 26th this year, things started to shift for me. And then I started to do all the other parts of, that, of our program, which include the thorough four-step, fifth-step, sixth-step, seven, all the way down. And I did my last amend in January, which for me, I had 61 amends to do. And now here I am at a hotel this weekend with my whole family while my son is being confirmed and three rooms of people. And last night I felt some remorse and some upsetness about how I acted at dinner and I called a fellow. And before you know it, I worked through all of it and I was able to reconnect with my family. And I use this sentence, thank you, God, for being a part of, rather than apart from. And with that, I'll pass. 
Thank you so much, Kathy Jo P. Amy G., it's your turn. Good morning. My name is Amy G., recovered in Maryland. Hoorah for our next, our second uh, Vision for You meeting. That is so awesome. Hopefully you can hear me okay? Yes, we can. Great. I'm just driving down the road. Um, this talk about loneliness and this disease, it reminds me of a slogan, and I hear in OA all the time, that it's a disease that wants to get up in your head, isolate you, and kill you. And, and that loneliness and that self-pity are, are masters in this disease, and I certainly can relate to where Bill is. I can understand when you come to the end of yourself with this disease. Because let's look at this story. What's happening now? Bill has been trying for years on his own will, desperately, to stop and cannot. And this is where we're talking about the mental obsession because there's a constant attempt to try and fix this on or on. I certainly relate to it for me. And what is being smashed home here is that again and again and again, as long as I kept trying, I was without mental defense against the first fight because of the mental obsession of this disease. And the morass of self-pity and the loneliness, he's finally come to the end of the road for himself, the end of himself with no hope. And what's so beautiful about this book and what it's telling us is we've just finished the doctor's opinion. We have Bill's story, and the next chapter is There is a Solution. But we have this story here for what? I don't know about you all, but it's to identify in. One of the most important parts of this process of recovery is to identify in. Am I relating to his story, to how he thinks, to how he feels, to how he acts? And I can tell you absolutely the case that is for me. And it talks about it on page 24, uh, excuse me, 25 at the bottom. It says here, if you are as seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there is no middle-of-the-road solution. We are in a position where life is becoming intolerable, intolerable, and we passed in a region from which there was no return from human aid. We had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other was to accept spiritual help. This we did because we honestly wanted to and were willing to make the effort. So what is being smashed home here again and again? That this disease, we are, or at least I can say for me, I put myself beyond human aid. And I needed to know that there was no middle-of-the-road solution. This program had to be the answer, or that was that. It's the dark before the dawn. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy G. And I will now open it up again. And who else would like to share on this first full paragraph on page 8? John Meg, H. Meg, Meg, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. The only Amanda name, B. John the only name I heard was John H. And now I heard an Amanda B. Who else? Reggie. Amrito. Mary H. Mary H. Reggie. I don't know if you heard me. Okay. I'm hearing some, and I'm not. Okay. This is what I've got. I got John H. I think I have an Amanda B. That was. Reggie, Mary H, Anne Marie, somebody Stephanie. else, Kathleen Stephanie. O. Stephanie, what's your initial to your last name? N. N. And right uh-huh. after Stephanie, somebody else spoke up. Kathleen. O. Something O. Kathleen. Kathleen. Okay, I'm going to stop here, and this is what uh-huh. I've got: John H, Amanda B. I think Reggie. You'll have to. Mary H. Anne Marie, and then get your last initial, Stephanie N. and Kathleen O. John H., it's your turn. 
Okay, thank you very much. Actually, <clears throat> you guys matched up. You matched up the um, actually John K. John Kiernan from Los Angeles, California. I'm so excited about this first meeting, and uh, I'll tell you on this reading, the loneliness and despair. I just so identified with being in that place, uh, really near suicide, uh, back in 1980 for myself. Um, the thing is, it was from the disease of alcoholism, not of the food at that time. Um, because that was where I came from first, and from AA, I then came to OA. And it's important to me because, um, you know, I had a sponsee years ago. I had a sponsee, Jim B. from Connecticut, and uh, he was 600-plus pounds. And I remember saying to him, I would have been – he and I had the exact same personality, sort of intelligent, smart, thick, funny, sarcastic, all that stuff – and I said to him, Jim, the only difference between me and you is that I have the gift of alcoholism. And I really meant that because the thing was I saw where I had to be, where it tells you in how it works about being willing to go to any lengths, half measures avail us nothing, that I got that from AA and I was able to bring it over. And as a result, I only got the 300 pounds. Uh, he was 600 pounds. And I always remember Jim B because he it was a sponsor of mine and he said, He's dead as a direct result of this disease. He died in a fire because he was too big to get out. And that's the program I'm in, the one with body count. And um, a few years ago, I wrote an article for an outside thing, but it was called Food is Deadlier Than Drink. And uh, it was uh, for a, a website that does a lot with addictions. But it was my belief why I think food is so much harder to recover from, from alcohol. And, uh, you know, it took me a year to get sober, and it was not easy, but it it was a lot harder to get get the food down. And I always say it's 10,000 times harder to keep the food down than to keep the alcohol down. And the reason I, I believe it is is because food, real, uh, alcohol and drugs makes you really hit a bottom and you wake up and go, oh, my God, what am I doing? But food is this chronic dull pain. And the problem with it is it, it puts you in enough pain to know you should do something about it just not always enough pain to be willing to go to any lengths. And that to me is the key, is, is that I needed to be able to be willing to go to any lengths. And thank God I had come from another program where I saw what I had to do. And that still didn't stop me from going into a massive relapse for a long time. And it still came down to the exact same disease, different uh, branches of the same tree, you know, a soul sickness, trying to feel like God shaped whole with something other than a higher power. And luckily today, uh, you know, my higher power smiled down and said, okay, but this just shows where you have to be. And it's so hard with food to get there, but all you have to do is pull the bottom up to wherever you are today and you're there. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, John Kay. And a gentle reminder, if you are not speaking, please mute your phone. Um, okay, Amanda B., it's your turn. And then it'll be Reggie O. Uh- Hi, this is Amanda B. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Go ahead. Thanks so much. I'm Amanda B., uh, recovering compulsive overeater in Eastern time, and I'm just glad this meeting's on because I have children that are up really, really early, so 10 o'clock is like a great time for me. Um, So I have no excuse of being in California or anything like that. Um, Thank you so much for this meeting and for this reading. The loneliness that I felt was more around, I'm around people and I feel deeply alone. 
and they're all eating normally and I can't even focus on them or can't listen to them because all I can think of is my self-pity and myself. That's what this paragraph is saying to me. Um, I met my match and in, in other parts of the big book, which I know we're not on, um, it talks about, you know, sometimes people can't follow through with some of the stories, but I was well accomplished and all of these things like Bill and none of those saved me from meeting my match. And st- and I come from both sides of the disease of anorexia and overeating and binging and purging and exercising and blah, blah, blah. And um, like somebody else shared, it's very easy to kind of commit suicide in this disease without anyone else feeling guilty or anyone else noticing. I mean, they'll notice, but it's it, they don't know what the bitter morass of self-pity is and the despair on the inside that's happening. It's just like um, I was drunk with food or with not food. And somebody else shared about the obsession, that mental obsession of what should I eat and what should I not eat. And the recovery in the program um, and the faith and the spiritual connection and, um, you know, taking away the, oh, I'm so successful. And who really cares? Because this disease does not discriminate. It will take anyone with them. It doesn't matter if you're smart or stupid or lonely or happy. But I know for me, when I'm in the food I am just so lonely and and it doesn't matter if there's tons of people around and it doesn't matter if people tell me they love me. It doesn't matter. So um, I just feel so grateful that I have this fellowship. I have the steps and I have the big book as a way to recover. There's really just very clear instructions that tell me how to get out of this bitter morass of self-pity and despair. But I, I, I just, that word despair hits me because it was like, what can I do? What can I do, God? What can I do? And and what can I do? And inside is just so that that's the best word I can think of is despair. Like there's nothing else for me. What the heck do I do? Um, and when I first read the big book, I thought, what the hell does this have to do with food? And um, <laughs> and uh, it's just good to reread it because it has a lot to do with food. So, anyways, God bless all of you. Thank you so much for being here today. And that, with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amanda B. Reggie O, it's your turn, and then it'll be Mary H. Hi, did you call? This is Reggie. Did you call me? I sure did. You're okay, up. thanks so much. This is Reggie O in uh, the Los Angeles area. And Monica, thank you so much, and everybody who really made possible this specific time meeting. I am so grateful for it. And, um, yeah, and this paragraph is so amazingly powerful. What's in it? <clears throat> and sometimes less is more. And there aren't very many words here, but it speaks volumes. And um, it reminds me the quicksand stretched around me in all directions. That brought it back this memory that I uh, I have when I was about I don't know six seven years old, and I was with my dad and my uncle and two of my male cousins who were a few years older than me. We were at my aunt's farm in Georgia, and we had gone fishing. And they were all, everyone but me was on the other side of this pond and I was this explorer and I was on the other side and I saw this, I saw this puddle of baby turtles and, uh, and I was just fascinated and I started walking toward the baby turtles. I just wanted to watch them and see them. And what happened was uh, that it was quicksand and I literally stepped into quicksand and began sinking. I I still remember it, still feel it, but I haven't thought about that in years. And uh, and like in this disease and the loneliness and despair, from an early age, it was very hard for me to ask for help, to speak and ask for help. So I didn't cry out. I just 
you know, I just hear I found myself sinking into this quicksand. And fortunately, with good fortune, my dad saw and ran around and pulled me up. And um, but that, you know, that 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 experience is a bit so much like my uh, compulsive eating experiences. Is that you know, I the, the food is a draw. I go to it. I don't see what I'm. You know, it's like I don't see. I haven't seen what I was. I didn't see what I was stepping into. I, you know, it never looked like quicksand, no matter how many times I stepped into it. And, you know, by the grace of God, or this program was pulled out again. But, um, but I would step into it and start sinking, and it would be extremely difficult to reach out and ask for help. And I think that, um, so it does take a degree of desperation or a gift. You know, I came in at one point at a pretty good place, uh, but just momentarily, and I, I was recovered for a period of time, and gratefully, and my life changed in every direction. And I went out again. I didn't, you know, I didn't continue working the steps. I didn't have that knowledge, you know. My life took off, and I just took off with my life. And, you know, over, it took a long time, but I was back in the food again. It took many, 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 many years to come back. But the loneliness and despair is really, it really is beyond description in some respects, uh, because that's been a story of my life. And, uh, but here with the, you know, with this amazing community and with uh, seeking and choosing and day by day acting to have God as my master, you know, and following these steps. And it's up to me whether I use this community or not, if I reach out, if I take calls, if I do this. And, uh, but I, I'm grateful for it. And, you know, here this morning with all of you, uh, who, who are like me in many respects, uh, uh, yeah, I don't feel lonely. So really grateful to be here, um, grateful for the program, and grateful for this new meeting. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Reggio. And Mary H., it's your turn, and then it'll be Anne Marie. Good morning. It's Mary H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in California, and I'm awake and I could participate, and I'm so happy to be part of this. I mean, okay, let's go to the paragraph. Um, I have a hard time reading Bill's story sometimes. It's so painful. It's, it's you know, I think of him and, and uh, the hopelessness. He must have felt there was no AA, even for him. You know, there was nothing. He had to create AA. And for me, at least, it was out there. I didn't know about it yet. But, um, you know, at at least at some point I heard about it and there was some hope. But I want to focus on the word self-pity. Oh, my gosh. I didn't realize how much self-pity and how how dangerous self-pity was for me and as an addict and that just self self-pity, self, 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 self. And um, that quicksand was that I didn't know how to get out of it. I even knew that the self-pity wasn't healthy for me. And then people would tell me, this is all before program, people would tell me, oh, you've got to get out of yourself, you know, go do something for somebody else. And I would do that, but it didn't, it didn't do anything for me. I was still sick. I was still... Um, in self all the time. It was just a patch. And I just am so grateful, I can't beyond grateful, that I finally found my way, you know, God really found my, helped me, whatever. I got here. And, um, and now I have a process and I understand self-pity. 
and I understand how to get out of it. And um, that was that quicksand. I didn't know how to get out of it. And in this book, in this fellowship, in the steps, in developing a higher power, never had a higher power. The whole God thing, uh-uh, that's, that wasn't working. But, well, basically that's the water in the ocean, and that is what's working. And this book helped me find a way to connect with that higher power that works and makes sense for me and um, gets me out of myself so I can be, I can be normal. Oh, just, that's it. Thank you so much for a later meeting. And um, thank you, Monica, and over and out, pass. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Mary H. And can you believe it here? We've only got three minutes left. So, Anne-Marie, you're going to be our last share this morning. Okay. Thank you, Monica. This is Anne-Marie M. in South Carolina. Very grateful, as, as everyone else is, about this meeting. Um, I think about the quicksand, and I'm not sure how desperate I really was. I remember somebody saying this, you know, you're, you're on a ship, and you've got somebody out there drowning, and you throw them a life raft, and they say, well, I'd rather have a pink life raft than this gray one, um, you know, and so I don't know how desperate I really was. I had, I did eventually, thank you God, get to that desperation, but I wasn't relying on other people. Um, yeah, they had good ideas, but, you know, I always thought my idea was probably better. Um, I remember when someone suggested uh, to ask somebody about getting a food plan, and I thought, they don't even realize, at 16, I was a lifetime member of Weight Watchers. I mean, I, and in my 20s, I've read so many self-help books. I mean, I know nutrition, and um, it just, it just didn't work. And then I heard at an Al-Anon meeting, listen to the person's behavior. Listen to their behavior. And I thought to myself, that's what I need to do with myself. I'm saying that I want help. I'm saying that I'm working the steps. I'm saying that I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. But my behavior, you know, it showed elsewhere. So I'm just grateful that I did get desperate and was willing to listen to other people and to realize that I didn't know everything. And that was, you know, that was humbling, I guess. I guess you could say that was humbling for me to um, be open to suggestions and not take it as criticism. I mean, I just was very um insecure with myself and um you know and I'm working on that. I'm just um I'm a work in progress. So um thank you again, Monica, for leading this first meeting at ten o'clock and I will pass. Thank you, Anne Marie, and thank you to everyone who has shared. Yeehaw, what a meeting here this morning. All right, we and I'm sorry, uh Stephanie and Kathleen that we have run out of time. And it's now time to close with the reading from the big book on page one sixty four, a vision for you. And I am going and then we're gonna follow with the Serenity Prayer. And Meg F, would you read for us please from page one sixty four? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi, this is Meg F from the Bay Area. Most of our readers. 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose 
more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We will be with you in the fellowship of the spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.